As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Welcome to Allocation Disorder. I am Sam Stasekel, joined as always by my colleague and friend from The Athletic, Paul Tenorio. Paul, it's been a week since we spoke. A lot has happened. A lot has happened. How are you doing? I wish it's been a week since we spoke. Just a week since we spoke in this venue, my friend. We we talk every day, especially Way during MLS often. Cup week on the weekends Way we too speak. Often. And we've gone on this journey together, my friend, of this last week. And there has been a journey, certainly. Uh, For those of you listening to the show, you already know this, but the Columbus crew are MLS Cup champions. They defeated the Seattle Sounders 3-0 at Mafre Stadium on Saturday night, five whole nights ago, as we sit here recording on Thursday night. Um, We're not going to spend a ton of time on the game just because, you know, at this point, I'm sure you've had your fill of MLS Cup content, but it's only appropriate that we rehash at least a little bit of it, and then we're going to get into some of the moves that are happening around the league, and we're going to finish the show with a little bit of opening the mailbag, do a little bit of Q&A that listeners, that you listeners, were so kind to send us in on Twitter, so thank you for that. But first, MLS Cup, Paul, your thoughts. Give me the big takeaways. What did you think of the match? Um, what are you going to remember from this game as we as, when we look back at it years down the line? I think what I'll remember is that it was one of the most dominant and complete performances that I've seen in a championship game from Columbus, considering the fact that they lost two of their three best players in the week leading up to the game, in the days leading up to the game, and then responded by absolutely dominating a team that was better than them. So I'll remember that response. I'll remember Aiden Morris, partly because I wrote about him, and I'll remember... I think I'll remember just how angry you were at the tactical decisions made in this game by the Seattle Sounders. Sam, you did not agree with that starting lineup. Anger is a strong word, Paul. Um, I was perplexed to the point of frustration, certainly. I just didn't understand it. Like, Brian Schmetzer is loyal to his guys. I think we saw on Saturday that loyalty is to a fault. He started Alex Roldan. He started Jovan Jones. 
Alex Roldan was good in the playoff opener against LAFC. He was less good against Dallas and less good than that against Minnesota. And Schmetzer ran it back despite having one of the better right backs in the league on the bench in Kelvin Leardom, who didn't start that first game against LAFC because he was hurt. Uh, Jovan Jones, I thought, was really poor for basically the entire playoff run. Gustav Svensson was out for that first game as he was recovering from COVID. Uh, you could have put him into the lineup and moved Christian Roldan out to the wing. Like you, that was your first choice lineup all season. And you would have had better players in the game. And uh, Brian Schmetzer chose not to do that. He chose to stick with what what got him to MLS Cup. And, and I guess I can sort of understand that line of thinking, but... I mean, I don't know. I, it's it's the biggest game of the season. Like, ride with your best players. It doesn't really seem that complicated to me. Like, am I crazy? I think. Look, there's there's two trains of thought, right? You don't change the winning combination, and you or you go with but the they guys weren't, that have they weren't there. good. They weren't yeah. good I mean, against Minnesota or problem. Dallas. Like you, you look at the the game before against Minnesota and against the team that ran out of gas at the end of the game, which Minnesota did on short rest. They they subbed in those guys who had been the starters, the guys you're talking about. Right, they they put Leardam in the game. They put Schme- uh, Svensson in the game, and it changed the game. So, you know, I I I think we both anticipated that there would be changes. We spoke about Leardam especially being in the lineup once. Um, I thought once Pedro Santos was ruled out, it was an easy decision to make to put in a more attacking oriented right back. He didn't do it. Um, but you know what, man? It was more than just those players because they got balls all around the field. It was. 100%. And credit, credit to Caleb Porter's crew, the way that they approached the game, how direct they were in, in getting vertical quickly, pressuring when they needed to pressure, and then finishing, man. Zella Ryan was deadly, and he that's he's worth every dime, right? That's why you go and you spend money. Yeah. He was incredible. And, and I want to talk a little bit about the crew because you made me the angry person. You know, with that question that you asked me, I didn't get a chance to like be positive. Um, and I, I just, you know, Aiden Morris, I don't think we've spoken about him on the show yet. Um, I don't think we've mentioned that Darlington Nagby was out due to COVID. The, maybe the best, the second best player probably on the crew behind Zellerion. And Aiden Morris, 19 years old, what, three starts before this game? Or was this his third yeah, career three start? Starts, I, three starts before. Yeah, and, and he comes in, and the, the crew don't really miss much of a beat. He was really good involved in two of the three goals. Um, looked comfortable, looked calm, looked cool. Did not look like the moment was too big for him whatsoever. And I think that's real credit, first, to him, but second, to Porter. And the crew, they have a system. And yeah, there was a little bit of a deviation on Saturday in terms of the some of the things on the margins of that system. But they have an idea of how they're going to play. And they've drilled that all year long and all of last year, too. So, when the moment came and Darlington Nagby is out and little Aiden Morris, who's got 360 career minutes as a pro, has to step in for him, he's prepared. And he knows what to do. And he knows where to be. And it's comfortable. And it's second nature. And he understands how to play within the system that his team is going to play. And I think that's a huge contrast to what we saw from the Sounders, who were sort of, I think, undefined. Um, you know, I think Schmetzer, one of his good qualities is that he gives the players a lot of freedom, but sometimes that can come back to, to bite you. And I think we saw that on Saturday. You know, you mentioned, Paul, that the crew pressing when they had to, 
and I think they did a good job of that. But one thing that we never really saw from Seattle was just like counteracting that by hitting a long ball to Jordan Morris and trying to go over the top. Morris is one of the best swingers in the league. He was best 11. He's fast. You play that ball over the top, you can cause some real problems. And the centers never really did that. And that was surprising to me. So those were my big takeaways from Cup, um, but deserved win for the crew. They were by far the better team in the 2020 weird year champions. You know, I, I hate to do this to the kid. I really enjoyed speaking with him after the game and a career career game for him in the, in the biggest moment. But there are a few things that people can say to me on Twitter or shoot one day when we're back out in the world, um, if we ever bump into an allocation disorder listener, ways to tell that they actually listen to allocation disorder. The first is that no matter what name the league gives the under 22 initiative or whatever the heck they are going to want to call it. If you're listening to allocation disorder, you know that it is young money, right? That's how we call it young money. And I feel like you just gave Aiden Morris the unfortunate nickname of little Aiden Morris. Uh, so we'll go with little Aiden Morris, Aiden Morris from now on. <laughs> but I will say also, I hope people are done with their MLS cup coverage because we were talking about it in this show. And, um, you know, we'll also have all us have a story out. I spoke with Caleb Porter one on one about what the win means for him personally, his legacy, uh, just the third coach in MLS history to win MLS cups in at two different clubs. Um, and I think, you know, in some sense, a little bit of a validation on his decision to walk away from Portland um, and take a year to figure out what what he who he wanted to be as a coach and what he was really looking for in the job. And, and certainly, I think you can say he made the right decision because he went to a new team and, and won a cup two years later. So um, some interesting comments out of that interview. Interesting scenes, I hope to set. Well, I'm looking forward to reading that. Um, I just want to close out the MLS Cup portion of the show by saying Lucas Zellerion. That's it. <laughs> that guy was amazing. He's an incredible player, rejuvenated in Columbus after kind of falling off the rails a little bit at Tigres. He was so, so, so good in MLS Cup. One of the best individual performances I can remember in an MLS final. I think that's a good place to transition. There were There was a lot of player movement. This week, Paul, this is it, got? Sam. This is this is when allocation disorder can go back to being allocation disorder. Like we have this amazing idea for this. You can't show put us we, in a box. We just yeah, but you know what? We want to be in this box. We don't want to do. We spent all this time don't talking speak about COVID for me. this year. We spent all this time talking about soccer. We didn't. Do you think that's over? Why are you jinxing this? Soccer. Stop. Because I'm being optimistic. I know you don't know about optimism, but I'm being optimistic going into. Stop putting me in a box. And I just want to say, here we go. Here we go. The rest of the show, we're getting all allocation disordery. We're talking about GAM and TAM and expansion drafts and all sorts of MLS mechanisms. This is what you're here for, people. This is what gets you excited. And apparently not not Sam. He's the only one not excited about this. I'm excited Listen, about it. I'm just a multifaceted individual and I don't like being pigeonholed. Okay? Don't tell me what I like and don't like, Paul. You don't know me. You don't I, know me, bro. I do know you. Know. <laughs> uh, and we do know a little bit more about Austin FC as well. Uh, after this week, the club, as we sit here recording, I believe has signed 12 players, 10 this week. They acquired an 11th, Kamal Miller, who they immediately traded to Montreal. Um, but they've pulled off six 
trades for incoming players and have four expansion draft picks on the roster. Kind of a quick rundown of those really fast. The biggest one, Alexander Ring coming from New York City FC, guy that Claudio Reyna signed when he came to MLS a few years ago. One of the better holding midfielders in all of MLS, and they paid for it um, for sure. He was also the captain for NYCFC, so a big loss for them. Um, but a trade that could get as high as $1.25 million in general allocation money, um, one of the biggest trades in league history from that standpoint. Another big one, uh, Austin acquired Nick Lima, defender he can play he's primarily a right back but he's also played on the left in his career from san jose for 500k in gam and then running down the list here real quick ulysses segura from dc ben sweat from miami julio cascante from portland john gallagher from atlanta those guys all arrived in trades as well and then in the expansion draft danny Husson from san jose jared stroud from the red bulls joe corona from the galaxy Brady Scott, goalkeeper from Nashville FC, and the aforementioned Kamal Miller, who was flipped to Montreal for $225,000 in in general allocation money. GAM, once again, it's only GAM from now on, folks. So, um, Paul, I just wrote a a large story about Austin, so I'm pretty well versed in these moves. (laughs) I've been thinking about them all day. Uh, But let's start with you. What do you you make of kind of the beginning of the roster build here? And I would be remiss if I did not mention that those 10 players that I just rattled off are joining Cecilio Dominguez and Rodney Redes, who were signed over the summer. Dominguez, a a designated player, previously spent some time at Club America and Independiente uh, in Argentina. Um, both players on loan in Paraguay over the fall. So, Paul, what do you, what do you think of the first stages of Austin's build? Yeah, I look. I think that there is um, a familiarity to these moves. You you look for a few starters within the league, and you look for some depth in the league. And um, I, I like some of what Austin did here. First of all, I, I'm a big Danny Houston fan. I thought that he was a really really easy trade target target for an MLS team that was going to be a little bit lower budget and needed a striker who had proven that he could be productive in this league in the right system. I was very surprised that he made it through to the end of his contract in San Jose. I I felt that there were some MLS teams that could have been more aggressive and gone after him this past season. Um, and instead, he lands in Austin in the expansion draft. Um, smart move. Yeah, a little bit risky because you have to agree to a new deal. Uh, but I like that move. I think he can be a productive forward on a on a low number. You know what you're going to get out of him. And it's not easy to find strikers um, in the international window, depending on your budget. So I, I like that move. I'm, I'm a big fan of Alexander Ring as well. The Nick Lima move, look, he's a good player. He's 26 years old. Um, it's a lot of a lot of money to give up for a right back. But overall, when you look at all of these moves, especially once you get to those other Segura, Sweat, Cascante, Gallagher, I mean, these are guys who are depth guys. There's not a lot of money that's being given up. When you look at it in totality, I think that it makes sense. Um, But, you know, there's a lot of work left to do on this roster. There are a lot of starters that need to be signed still. And so, you know, it's still TBD because there's there's a big difference between, you know, starting. Like, look at Miami, right? There's a big difference between starting Ben Sweat at left back. And, and looking at him as your consistent starter every week versus looking at him as a guy who's going to start you seven to 10 games, you know, when your left back can't play. So that's, ben, that's Ben Sweat the, did start a lot of games not so long ago for some pretty good NYCFC teams. So possibility sure, that it was just a bad year. Maybe, 
maybe times change, but you better have a plan, right? You better have a plan. So that's, that's my, I mean, it's just too soon. It's just too soon to, to judge, but I, I don't mind most of these trades. I think a little bit steep for Nick Lima. Sam, did, did you, you, you dove into these, you talked to them through their thinking. Well, what mm-hmm. do you see in these moves? I'm a little bit more optimistic than you are. I think it's fair to say. I agree. Maybe a little bit steep for Lima, but when you're talking about a guy who's on a reasonable salary and probably in down for the next little while, like the, the amortized spend over, over a year to year basis on a starting right back who's a, at a pretty good level, not so bad. Um, I mean, obviously they have a lot of work left to do, but I like what they're doing, right? First of all, they have a big advantage. They don't have to compete with another expansion team for any of these guys, so they can kind of get the cream of the crop. So it feels like they've got better MLS picks than Miami or Nashville did last year. And they should, right? They don't have to split it in two. (laughs) Um, I think all of these guys, most of them, I think are probably rotation guys. Ring is certainly a lock-it-in starter. I wouldn't be surprised if he ended up the captain for them. Lima, same. I think Husin is probably going to end up starting for them. And then you talk about Dominguez and, and Redes, and did I just name five guys? Was that five guys I, I listed? So you got at least five starters right now, I think. That's not a bad haul for where they are at this point in the year. The thing I like about them is that you know exactly what you're getting pretty much with all of these guys. I'm a little less high on Houston than you are. I agree that he has some talent. He's been very inconsistent throughout the course of his career. Uh, did not mix well with Matias Almeida. Didn't play much under him after he arrived at the Quakes. So we'll see there. I think that's a little bit of a gamble. Um, but Josh Wolf, the head coach, has sort of talked about wanting to play this 4-3-3 and they, they get vertical quickly and they really attack with speed and try and get after teams in transition. And I think a lot of these pieces make sense for that, right? You talk about Nick Lima. He's a guy that can do that. The, the wingers, Reyes and Dominguez, absolutely. Um, and even some of that depth, right? Jared Stroud, I think is actually a pretty underrated pickup for, for that type of setup. He was pretty good with the Red Bulls last year. Is he going to be starting every game? Um, if he is, you're probably not going to be where you're wanting to be, but can he start some of the time and come off the bench and provide a little bit of spark? Absolutely. Um, so yeah, a lot of work left to be done, particularly on, on the back line. They need some center backs for sure. Um, but I, I like where it's headed. They have a lot of known quantities and they seem to be building for the most part responsibly and in a way that's, that's pretty balanced. And I like that. Well, you have to think, first of all, that they're going to be talking to Matt Beasler in free agency as a starting left center back. It makes a lot of sense for him to go to Austin, you know, puts himself back in a starting lineup. He He's a guy, another guy who could wear the captain's armband easily at an expansion team, uh, a veteran of a World Cup, a uh, longtime, obviously, sporting Kansas City veteran. I would imagine a, a center back who can play out of the back. He's known for being good on the ball. So... Uh, you know, to me, that makes a lot of sense. I would also say about Danny Houston, he kind of makes me think about Jossie Zardes to Columbus. You know, Josh Wolf obviously was an assistant for Greg Berhalter, both in Columbus and the U.S. national team. I, I imagine there will be some similarities of what they want in their um, front three. Um, and I think there are similar qualities there between Houston and Zardes. So that that's kind of why I think that was a, a, a pick that made a lot of sense that fit really well. But uh, I'm interested to see what they do on the back line. I'm interested to see what they end up doing to supplement the winger position. Um, but uh, overall, not not a bad start, I think, for Austin. And um, we'll see we'll see what they do in free agency. I, there's not a ton of big names in free agency, but I think there are some guys that could help them. I mean, 
You want to go out and, and just reunite the Quake Strikers, get Wando, BWP, something like that? You could do a lot worse. Um, I do think it merits mentioning, too, the progress that they've made off the field. You know, that team arrived in, in Texas in a way that I think was offensive. You think that's fair? Call it offensive? Anthony Precourt, who's the owner, tried to, I mean, that was straight out of Major League. What he tried to pull in Columbus uh, rubbed a lot of people, quite obviously, uh, a very wrong way. That has not carried over down in Austin. They sold out of season tickets in, I think, September. They have 15,500 of those sold. They have 10,000 seats accounted for on a paid wait list for those season tickets. Um, The stadium's only 20,500, so that thing's going to be packed out, assuming it can be of course, uh, for every game um, that they have at home next season. And, you know, uh, jersey sales are are doing really well. They actually, their president told me that despite the fact that they launched their jersey not even a month ago, as we sit here tonight, Paul, they were top five in MLS in gross merch sales in 2020, (laughs) which is kind of wild. Um, And I, I mentioned this on the show, I think, last week, but they're blowing Dallas and Houston out of the water in terms of fan support already. So credit to them on that front. Um, I think they have some decent things going there. And uh, it's going to be curious to see how they build the roster. One last note here. Claudio Reyna, he did tell me that that they expect to be in the top third in the league in spending, which would, you know, talk about a 27-team league. It's about ninth or better. You know, you're talking about NYCFC-ish, Portland... That kind of neighborhood, so that's yeah, maybe, that's some maybe real just money. Below Portland, right? I mean, I would, yeah. I, I hope they do. I hope they do spend that much. I will say, man, the one thing that really bugs me about this start to Austin, and somebody tweeted at this at me and and really hit a nail on the head. That I I feel like it's like borderline cultural appropriation with some of the Spanglish stuff that they're doing. Yeah, it's, it's really. Um, I don't like it. I'll put it that way, you know, the Verde van and Verde this, Verde that with Matt McConaughey's Southern drawl and all this. Like, I just think, like, if you're going to be, if you're going to cater to a Latino audience, if you're going to talk about, you know, representing all parts of that city, there are better ways to do it than they're doing it right now. Um, I can, I just, I don't know, man. I it's it's borderline offensive to me, <laughs> and I I think that it's yeah. worth saying that because I don't think it's genuine. I don't think it was a, a a marketing move that was done by the Latinos in the room. If there were Latinos in the room, it certainly doesn't come across that way. And um, I have been really turned off by it um, since they started doing it. So uh, I don't know. I don't know how much more I can take. I don't know how much more of it there's going to be. <laughs> well, I, th- I think they're going to keep leaning into it, just given how it seems to be going this week. Yeah, it's unfortunate. But, yeah. It's unfortunate. So, I, I mean, I don't know. You mentioned that you didn't know if there were any Latinos in the room. One thing that they were eager to point out to me was that 35 or 40% or so of their staff identifies as Hispanic um, in terms of front office employees. Um, which, you know, talk about trying to market to that demographic and that population, uh, in, in Texas, well, in Austin, in the region, that's the proportion of the population that identifies as Hispanic as well. So, um, I I have to go to their site, maybe do some interviews like you did today, but I, I hope that they're not just in the room, not just in the staff, but that they're 
properly they're having power yeah yeah that they have that they're actually in decision making roles yeah uh i can't really speak to that but um something to keep an eye on for sure um it certainly isn't hurting them in season ticket sales so we'll see how they keep going i think every player announcement they made this week had some variation of i am verde um or something like that uh so that's what's going on with austin a lot more to come there This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Some other big trades this week. Georgie Mihailovich. Guy from your neck of the woods, Paul, and I'm not talking about Orlando, um, <laughs> moving from Chicago to Montreal for $800,000 in GAM, potentially rising to a million. The fire keeping 10% of a future transfer fee if he ever gets sold by the Impact or Montreal FC or whatever we're calling them these days. I'm not really sure. <laughs> um, he was entering the final year of his deal. Um, and he has signed a new contract with the Impact. Sorry, Montreal. I'm just going to say Montreal and be safe from now on. Um, that's going to pay him uh, 700000 a year uh, on average over the life of it. Uh, the Impact have now spent, by the way, a minimum of $1.4 million in GAM, potentially up to one point six, on Georgi Mihailovich and Mason Toy in the last few months. Um, so they're really going all in on these younger American kids. For sure. Uh, Paul, you're close to the fire. You follow that club closely. You, you you have the pulse. You feel the heat of the fire. What do you think about this deal? Fantastic business for the Chicago Fire. Look, I get it. I've seen some people say, what are the fire doing? It's another homegrown, you know, a hometown kid. He's done well. This is still to a certain degree, I mean, not to a certain degree, it's a business one, but there's also a chance to evaluate a player and see, is this the right fit for that player? Um, are they growing as a player and, and, and what are they, how are we going to project their growth? And then what's their value to us? Georgi Mihaljevic has massive value to the Chicago Fire as a homegrown player who's off the budget. He didn't want to be a homegrown player off the budget anymore. He wanted a TAM contract. And that makes him a senior roster player and an expensive one at that. And the expectation around Georgie's production would have to change. His consistency would have to change. And, you know, I just think that both the club and the player needed needed to move on from each other. And when you get an offer like this, $800,000 guaranteed for Georgie, it, it's a no-brainer. You, you they call it a godfather offer in the biz. Yeah, you, you can't walk away from this. You have to take the money. You know, and people keep saying like, oh, he could get sold to Europe. Like, he's not a 17-year-old kid, man. He's 22 years old. There were no offers in Europe this time around from what I'm hearing. So what what is the expectation? Like, that he's going to get sold at 24 or 25 for $15 I mean, he's million? Gonna, he's going to have to... 
like he's going to have to be a best 11 player really to pull that off. Yeah, we just had a whole talk about Jordan Morris and his transfer value at his age now, right? He's and and even then we're talking about realistically when when you interview scouts and you interview GMs and you interview people who have sold players abroad, you know, they're saying 5 million dollars Seattle has to listen, right? So that's Jordan Morris coming off of a best 11 year who And his resume is infinitely better. Infinitely than better, right? So I don't understand what this expectation is. I think people get a little bit too caught up in reading about values online. Great move for the fire. Questionable move for Montreal just in how they're allocating their resources overall. Why they're doing so I think is indicative of you know an owner who probably isn't putting money in elsewhere. So you have to start looking for guys where you can, you can hit big. I, I think Georgie's a good kid. It's going to be really interesting to see him play under Thierry Henry. The demands on him are going to be very, very high with this kind of contract. And, um, you know, I think this will be good for him. It'll be good for him to get away from home and and to have real, real strong expectations put on his shoulders. I agree. It's a sink or swim moment for him in his career, right? And he eventually could get sold. I just don't think it would be for all that much if he remains on on his current trajectory or close to it um, and probably not to that big of a league or anything like that. Um, so I just wanted to say that off the top. But yeah, I'm, I pretty much agree. I think this is a, a, an offer the fire simply could not refuse um, given everything that you said. Uh, I do think that this there is some potential here for him to do well in Montreal. Um, I'm really curious to see what he does under Henri. Um, obviously an exacting and demanding coach. Um, and, and one that clearly values Georgie, right? Like you don't spend this kind of money if you don't believe in the guy. So I, th- I think that's positive. Um, and I'm, I'm curious to see if he can step up, right? He's been given more of that mantle now. You know, he's leaving a crowd, a pretty crowded central midfield in Chicago. And, and he's going to have kind of the keys to the car a little bit with with Montreal. And, and we'll see if he's able to uh, stick him in the ignition and drive. Sam, where where do you stand on the Harry Ship slander? What do you mean slander? Who's slandering our boy? All I'm saying is they talked about Georgie in the release being the first consistent homegrown player. And I was just like, man, hmm. Harry Ship. Two years of pretty consistent production yeah. for the fire, and you were there, kind of, right? For at least one of the Harry Ship years, you were in Chicago. No, no, I wasn't. Was that way past your time. All right, I yeah, thought I was, it was I before I was my time. Well, it was past my time and before my time. Um, but yeah, Harry Ship, he was. I mean, he had better numbers in two years than Georgie Mihalovic had in four for the fire, uh, in terms of goals and assists. Um, and he got. He also got traded to the impact. <laughs> I'm just um, trying to. I'm just trying to ignite the angry Sandfire again. I just want him to get that I'm angry. A, I'm angry a big Harry Ship going. guy. You know, he's retired. He's going to Northwestern now. Our alma mater. Um, one of my brother's college roommates grew up with Harry Ship. One of his good friends. So yeah, he's basically family to you. <sighs> pretty much. I mean, like. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say. Like, yeah, he's pretty much family. Um, no, of course not. I think I've talked to the guy twice in my life. Um, <laughs> uh, what do I make of the slander? Uh, they should probably check their facts a little bit better before they write press releases next time, but that's okay. It's a little bit of a different homegrown situation. He went to college for four years. Georgie was signed at like 17, so a little no, different. I, I was, look, Georgie produced for a few years. Very different um, type of homegrown player. He came straight out of the academy. 
I, I we're just we're just giving people a hard time. I'm just trying to get Sam fired up here, man, because now Paul, I've got y- Sam. You Sam's were the one fire burning. You were the one bit. fired up about that we're before the show. Up. I wasn't. I didn't care. So I'm just like, trying to get you. It just all wanted to talk about to it. talk about Brian Reynolds, ten million dollar player, my friend. Apparently, maybe Sam, Sam. What do you think? Tom Bogert of MLS Soccer reporting. Yeah. Thursday that AS Roma have made a $9.2 million bid for Brian Reynolds, one of many teams in the mix. Juve, AC Milan apparently are involved. Marseille, what do you think? Marseille raised an eyebrow for me, considering everything going on in France right now with their TV contract evaporating into thin air and every club there being cash poor pretty much at the moment. Um I mean, $9.2 million, like, if I'm Dan Hunt and Andre Zanota and Luchi Gonzalez, I say, oh my god, this is working, we're signing this right now, Brian, um, what, what time do you want to get on a plane? I'll drive you to the airport. Like, th- that's no slight on Brian Reynolds, the fact that this, this bid is out there and Roma and these other clubs are interested, that's a huge credit to him and his talent. Um, he hasn't played very much. He's 19 years old. Um, he start became a starter once Reggie Cannon got sold um, earlier this year, and and he did pretty well. You know, he's a, a super interesting right back in terms of his profile. He's tall. I think he's like six two or six three, which is rare for that position. Um, I believe a converted winger loves getting forward, fast, athletic. Um, there's a lot of potential there. There really is. Um, and, and, that being said, nine point two million sounds high, just for the level of experience that he has. You would think that they wouldn't need to start the bidding there, you know, that they could come in like at half that price or less, and, and if they needed to, work their way up. Um, but man, like that's a that's a hell of a that's a hell of a shot. And uh, if I'm Dallas, I'm taking that money and running man that covers dallas's entire first team salary cost and then some probably for a whole season right there they could actually go out and sign a real dp if they if they have this money if it's true and it hasn't been agreed and then they have then they have other bidders it must then they have be, other bidders it's borderline negligent right it's it's like do you want to be DC United, right? Do you want to no, be DC No, no, no. I don't think that's true. I don't I don't think I, that's I don't I think, hold on look, one second. All hold I'm on one second. Is they got to get this much money now if this is true because if yes. they sit around and and this and they let this they say no, let's let it play out till the summer when teams are doing bigger shopping, Brian's yeah, going to no. play well. Like this if this is true, you get the bids happening quickly, you sell them in January, you take the money and you count it up, baby. Yeah, hundred percent. There's no look at what happened with the Lucio Acosta thing. DC United <laughs> talked themselves out of ten million dollars, basically. Yeah. So the, the the fact that it it hasn't been reported is done yet makes me think that there are more that there's, that there's more than one club, right? And if there's more than one club, then you can actually create a little bit of a bidding war potentially, and it's worth at least running that out a little bit, right? A lot of these teams that are involved, rumored to be involved, American owners. That means something in this. Um, those guys maybe want to bring along a U.S. player, um, maybe more so than than a European club that isn't owned by an American. So that's a relevant factor in all of this. I think, like you said, if 
like that bit is real and I, I don't really have any reason to doubt Tom Bogert like at all. <laughs> he's been he's gotten a lot of scoops here over the last year. Uh, he's he's a pal of mine. So so credit to him on that one. I'm, I'm happy for him. Proud of him. <laughs> but yeah, the, Dallas can't get less than that now. You know, like you said, like they they can't get less than that now. Um, unless it's a situation where Reynolds turns down that bid and then, then it goes south otherwise, but yeah. And quickly, Sam, like you pointed this out earlier. I mean, this is, this is what we're talking about with proof of concept. I mean, the reason if, if this is true, the reason that it's true is because there is a, now a line of players who have come through Dallas and are, are successful in Europe, right? You well, look at, at players who have come through that academy. Okay, they didn't all go to the first team. In fact, only two of the four have gone through the first team that I'm about to mention. But that, but they still look at where they're where they've come from, right? And so when you talk about Chris Richards at Bayern Munich, well, I, I wasn't Weston objecting McKinney, to these kids being from Dallas. I'm just saying it's a little early to call time on Chris Richards being a success. Like he's doing great. It's just it's like not, I'm not saying that it's about calling time on him being a success. But when a club is looking at players who have come through the academy and they see a teenager breaking into Bayern's first team. They see a 22-year-old starting for Juventus. They see Reggie Cannon coming to Europe and going straight into a starting lineup and doing well and attracting more attention after half a season in Portugal uh, from the likes of Benfica. They start to say, okay, yeah, we don't want to wait for him to go to a smaller team and then have to pay triple that cost, right? Which would be double what we're talking about now. So, you know, you instead of paying 15, 16, 17, 18 million, you're paying 9 million, you know? And, and, but that's all about looking at where this guy came from. And, and that is what we're talking about. Not, you got to remember, Chris Richards was sold for $1.2 million. That could rise up to two. You know, he wasn't sold for nine. You know, Weston McKinney went for free, which was a huge mistake. So we won't even use that in this example. And then Reggie Cannon was sold for essentially a valuation of uh, $5 million. Three. So, you know, he he went for a percentage of that valuation, right, with a chance to buy more of that percentage after a year and a sell-on fee. So, you know, you you look at the $1.2 million that could go up to two for Chris Richards. Valuation gets a bit higher for Reggie Cannon. And now the valuation is even higher here for Brian Reynolds. That's how this works. You know, you can't just skip steps. It's very, I should say, you can (laughs) skip steps for a very valued player, but that step won't come back and create a line. That doesn't set a floor for you. Alfonso Davies doesn't set a basement for Vancouver. Although I do feel like uh, going from whatever Cannon went for to 9.2, I feel like that is skipping a couple of steps. Um, but you at least took the first steps. Um, so, it yes, to your not, point. Though, there's not that big of a difference between the $5 million shoppers in Europe and the $10 million shoppers in Europe. And if you look at – I always use Salzburg as an example because you can go – you don't have to go that far back to look at Salzburg's growth. It happened really, really quickly. You know, it, it, once Ralph Regnick came to went to Salzburg, it happened very quickly from when they started selling their first few players to when they sold their first ten million dollar player to now everyone is an eight figure player that's coming out of Salzburg. You know, I don't think it's that massive of a jump, but I also don't think Brian Reynolds' price is anywhere close to nine million dollars, if not for the three players that preceded him. 
I agree. And I actually would expand it further. You mentioned Alfonso Davies. And yes, he is an outlier in many, many ways. I mean, the guy was named to the, the FIFA World Best 11 today. That's crazy. That's crazy. Two years ago, he was in MLS. Um, totally insane. But that matters too. And Tyler Adams matters too. Um, you mentioned Wes McKenney, you know, he didn't ever play of second in MLS, neither did Chris Richards. Um, but, but all of those things matter because it provides a benchmark. Brendan right? Aronson matters. Brendan Aronson. They, well, they all matter. We'll I, I mean, mean, they do. I mean, I spoke with a, a, a scout Aronson from a matters, Aronson matters for price, but he hasn't gone and proved it yet. Like these other guys have in Europe, right? Sure. Like he doesn't have, he doesn't have the track record in Europe. Um, but the track record in Europe that these guys are developing Miguel Almiron, too, by the way. They don't have to be American, necessarily. It says, okay, this level of player in MLS is equivalent to this level of player in whatever European league. And if you can make that comp and you can translate that and the more data points that you have to that effect, the easier it's going to be for MLS to sell players. Yeah, I mean, to your point, I mean, Carlos Guezzo. Guerrero was another player coming out of Dallas, mm-hmm. going to Bundesliga to a Bundesliga team and stepping into the starting lineup and and performing, you know. And so again, you know, Dallas has done a really nice job of creating this line of examples of players where you can buy them and and they'll do well. And it's a really positive sign for MLS. I think it's a really positive sign for FC Dallas because, you know, it wasn't that long ago. I mean, I've only been covering this league at a, like on a national level since 2016, so four years ago. So sometime in the last four years, you know, I used to get text messages from other teams trash-talking Dallas, right? Because they got so annoyed by the way people talked about FC Dallas as this great, homegrown, powerful system. Because I still none get of those these sometimes. <laughs> yeah, none of the homegrowns were really contributing. Playing. Right? Yeah. And, and then... You know, you got through that first generation of like the kind of fake homegrowns that really didn't come up through the system. And then those players who have been raised in the FC Dallas system have started to come through. And now you're seeing that production on the first team for Dallas, number of players who have done well. And now you're seeing that production on the international market for Dallas. And all the other MLS teams are playing catch up, you know, and some of them are are, are catching up faster than others. But there are a lot of people who were on teams that are a long way away from FC Dallas that are now going to be, you know, 10 years away from having this level of production. Now, I should say... Dallas ain't winning championships, though. Yeah, I mean, but but part of that's because of poor management, right? They didn't sign Weston McKinney to a homegrown deal. They got zero MLS minutes out of him. They didn't sign Chris Richards to a homegrown deal. They got zero MLS minutes out of him and... They've been terrible they did at their international signings. They never got any minutes out of them. That was a sale, yeah. a purchase. That was a that was a a favor, and and their their international signings have been very poor. That's what's hurt FC Dallas. Not yeah, their since homegrowns. since Mauro Diaz and Fabian Castillo left. Um, and if if that team could sign a DP, that's actually effective. And, and Frank O'Hara was was decent for them this year. Um, he scored some goals. He wasn't great. He wasn't gangbusters or anything, but he wasn't terrible. Um, but you look at like Santiago Mascara or Christian Coleman, um, Anibal Chala, who never played a second for Dallas. Um, these guys were duds. 
And if they could just sign decent DPs, they would be like a real contender because they're making the playoffs every year as is. Anyway, we've spent a lot of time on Dallas. We have a lot of other things to get to in this show. Um, let's talk about one more item before we go to the Q&A and take a little quick breather. Uh, Miami <laughs> and Diego Alonso. So Paul and I were kind of at the center of this on Monday, I think it was. Um, I'll just take everyone through it because there have been some questions. We thought we should address it. Um, basically, we got informed from several sources that Diego Alonso had been fired by Miami. Um, you know, those people had told us that Diego had told them either directly or told someone who had told them. Um, and so we ran a story, <laughs> published it, um, quickly got a call from more sources saying, Hey, he has not been fired. Um, but he had a meeting with ownership where he, he got a very, um, uh, stern talking to, I will call it. And something got, I don't know if it was lost in translation or miscommunicated or whatever, but Alonzo thought he had been fired, then went and started telling people that he was fired. Um, so at that time he had not been fired. His future was still uncertain. Um, at that point, um, I haven't gotten any updates since Monday on his situation. I would be a little surprised if he's back in Miami and by a little surprised, I mean, surprised, firmly surprised if he's back in Miami next season. Um, but we shall see. That's kind of how that went down. We just sort of wanted to clear that up. If you read the story, you probably got the gist already, but figured why not expand a little here. Paul, anything to add? Yeah, just never come across a situation like that where a coach was wrong about his own job status. You know, again, can just you imagine? Home, just can to you imagine the point. I mean, the guy was at the facility and, and talking to, to people around the club, players, staff, um, saying goodbyes, telling people that he had been fired. Um, and the club was essentially scrambling to explain to him that he was not fired. So just a very bizarre situation. I, that, I, I mean, as somebody said to me via text uh, on Monday night, it's something that you don't even see in South America or in places where, where things are a little bit messy. So weird, a weird situation, definitely weird for us. Um, and, uh, yeah, hope, hopefully don't have to deal with something like that again. Yeah, uh, I think it's fair to say that we both regret the air, but probably not as much as Miami does. Um, and with that, we'll take a quick breather. On the other side of the break, a little Q&A. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Today's episode is brought to you by our old friends, Mac Weldon. Wouldn't it be nice if we could have things both ways, like a zero-calorie cheeseburger, internet ads in March that weren't just reminders to do your taxes, a dog that never needs walking after midnight when it's cold, a Manchester United that is consistently good instead of their current scattershot approach, well, we tend to think of clothing as an either-or situation as well. People think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort. But it's possible to have it both ways. Mack Weldon makes timeless apparel with modern performance fabrics for guys who want to look and feel sharp without sacrificing comfort. 
From their light-as-air underwear to innovative anti-odor tees and versatile yet comfortable pants, Mack Weldon has a full range of clothes that never go out of style. I got a few things recently, including a long-sleeve polo, which I love, uh, maybe the most comfortable t-shirt, which I also love, and my new favorite sweatpants, the Ace sweatpant. It's exactly what I described above, comfort and versatile, but still stylish. It's the type of sweatpant I can wear to pick up my kids from daycare and not think, I'm now wearing sweatpants in public. The other parents will judge me. Now I just think, judge away, nerds, because you will never be this comfortable unless you're also wearing a pair, in which case, high five. Mack Weldon is not flashy. It's just classic, always in style, and made from the world's most comfortable performance materials. They're designed to fit both your style and the demands of modern life. So get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code TSS. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com, promo code TSS to get 20% off your first order. Thank you to Mack Weldon for sponsoring today's episode. And we're back. It's Allocation Disorder. This is the final episode of the year. We probably should have mentioned that off of the top of the show. Um, but with it being the final episode of 2020, our first year as a podcast, I don't know when exactly we started. I think it was in February. But our first year as a show, we wanted to open up and have some listener questions. So we'll get through a few of those here before we wrap it up for the year. Our first one. Paul comes from someone that every listener of this show will know, um, Alexi Lalas. We in media often focus on negative and critical stories. This is something that Paul accuses me of all the time. It is natural in itself, but what are some of the good, positive, and smart things being done in MLS and American soccer? I like this. Let's end the year on a positive note, positive vibes from Alexi, who's not really usually one to go down this route, but hey, let's he's he's teeing us up, so let's let's try and knock it out of the park. Give me some positivity, Paul. What you got? I think young money is a positive and smart thing being done. And I am on the record as saying that I don't think it's gonna be as easy or as much of a game changer as some of the people I talk to around the league, because it's very hard to hit on young players internationally, right? 17, 18, 19-year-olds, moving them to a new country, putting a lot of money in their pocket, putting huge expectation on them. However, the more money this league spends, the better. And trying to move this league forward in in being more involved in the international market is a better uh, is, is a progressive move for the league. So I think anything that, that kind of pushes for the owners to spend more money, anything that pushes the league to um, to look for talent that is more than just on the back end of their career is a positive thing. So I'll say that young money is a good and positive, if not necessarily perfectly executed, way of moving the league forward. Yes, we'd like to get rid of restrictions altogether. This show is on the record of being very much in that corner. But hey, at least there's more money getting put into the pot. Yeah, uh, I'm going to disagree with you there. Just continue my negative theme, I guess. That's me. Uh, I feel like it is good in some ways. But Paul, you all right? He's he's having yeah, the, a fit on video here. He the, just the, took a sip of something, and it looked like he was going to spit it out. I was I was I almost did a spit take when you said that's me. You know this this moment <laughs> of just zen of clarity. Of I'm not a negative person. You brand me so unfairly. I don't appreciate it. <laughs> Definitely not a negative person. Definitely not. Um, 
I do think though that that has the potential to backfire. And like you said, uh, I think it's positive that they're they're trying to be targeted in certain ways, but really any more restrictions I think are are bad. Just blow it up and unrestrict the whole thing. But this is not about what I think is bad. This is about what I think is good. Um, and I'm I'm just gonna keep it simple on this one. The fact that they that MLS had a 2020 season and the the sacrifices, the very real sacrifices that were required by a lot of people, players, coaches. Trainers, equipment managers, uh, employees in front offices, uh, league employees. Um, not everybody made through this thing unscathed. Um, 20% of players, according to Bob Foose, the MLSPA executive director, caught COVID. A lot of people got pay cuts. A lot of people got laid off. There were some very, very real prices that were paid by people um, through this year around MLS. And that's sad. And that's not a good, happy thing. But the fact that the league was able to pull off this season, considering all of the difficulties, um, I think MLS deserves a lot of credit for that, truly. And I'm not somebody that, like, anyone that's listening to the show knows I'm not somebody that hands out credit to MLS all willy-nilly. <laughs> um, but I do think that the league deserves some credit on that front. Um, and honestly, like, this is kind of cheesy and hokey and whatever, but, like, I do think it's important, especially for me, who can be so negative because that's just me to take a step back and and American soccer has grown. It hasn't grown as fast as a lot of people would like it. It hasn't grown in a, in the way that a lot of people would like it. Um but it has grown significantly when you think back 10 years to what MLS was. Um and I think that's pretty cool. And hopefully it continues cuz I think that's what we're all uh all of us that are in this, that's what all of us are kind of in it for <laughs> at the end of the day. Um, and while we may disagree with the methods sometimes, there are some results happening, um, hopefully more and hopefully faster uh, in future years. But that's my cheesy, hokey answer. Maybe not the direction you thought I would go, Paul. But see, I'm trying to open up. I'm showing my sappy side. I like it. We all want sappy, Sam, for sure. Um, <laughs> okay, on to the next question. This one's from Michael Karsner. Are you reading? I'm reading. Right. Now. We're going we're gonna to switch like off questions here, you know, it, 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 just for you guys, the listeners. You get a little bit more of me reading something that's not about Indochino. Okay. <laughs> Imagine you are an owner of a club and like a fantasy draft, you get to pick any CSO to run your club along with a current head coach in the league who would compliment the CSO. Who are you taking, Sam? I thought I was going to go second on this question, so I would have some time to think. You're putting me on the spot. Uh, my chief exec, I am going with Garth Lagerway, uh, Seattle GM. You know, he's made a few finals. You may have heard about it. Uh, he consistently puts together really talented rosters. In terms of head coach, <laughs> Bob Bradley. Garth Lagerway and Bob Bradley, hilarious odd couple potential, first of all. Um, between the two of those guys, uh, suit one is super intense and one like makes really bizarre Avengers references when he, and talks about Elon Musk and I don't know, he's all over the place. Um, but yeah, those two, I think it's the best GM and the best coach in MLS. So yeah, those are my picks pretty chalky, but there you have it. Yeah. Super chalky. And I don't know how to interpret Michael's question. Like, can I not pick the people that Sam just picked or do I get to pick whoever I want? Why don't you do both? Why don't you do both? Okay. Well, if I were so to you pick... pick, you pick whoever you would pick and then pick 
And then you, if my I guys are off the board. Pick, yeah, okay. So if I would if I could pick anyone, if I was an owner, I would pick Garth Lagerway. He's the best GM in the league. It's a no brainer. Um, if you have a chance to hire Gar- Garth Lagerway, you hire Garth Lagerway. I can't think of any owner in the league who wouldn't pick up the phone and call Garth Lagerway if they had the chance. Um, you can't. I can't think really? of one. I can't think. Of I think you're lying. One, not one you liar. owner who have a, has a chance to pick up and call Garth. Anyways. Especially um, if that owner was from the team from Lagerway's hometown. I, wh- why would someone from Chicago want to pick up the phone and call Garth Lagerway? Why would that make sense? I don't know. But, okay, Garth Lagerway's the pick. He's the easy pick. Um, and the coach, and, and, and this is where I'm going to go a little bit away from you. I'm going to go with a coach who I think is certainly thought of as one of the best, um, but isn't I, I don't think is put into the category where he is as respected as he should be for what he's done in this league. So I'm going to take a coach who I think would win a championship for sure with Garth Lagerway as his GM. And that's Oscar Pereja. You put Oscar Pereja with, with Garth Lagerway and you've got multiple championships, you've got a dynasty. And I think, I think Oscar who's, who's certainly well regarded in the league um, gets put into that next you know, next tier of coaches that he's kind of chasing. I don't um, know. I don't know if I totally agree with that, but you're not 100 I mean, percent wrong. If he won multiple championships with Garth Lagerway, he would go to the next tier. Oh, sure. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Never mind. This is a fantasy I stand corrected. draft, Sam. <laughs> okay. I thought you were talking about something else. I misinterpreted. If, if Garth, I feel and- like Diego Alonso right now. <laughs> if Garth and Bob are completely off the table. It certainly doesn't matter with Bob. But my next CSO pick um, would probably change my head coaching pick. So if I have to go with a a second CSO, I'm going to go totally um, against the run of play here. And I'm going to say Ernst Tanner, who I think is is has very quickly made himself um, a top does he three get, Does he CSO? get to bring Chris Albright with him? No, it's just it's just Ernst Tanner. Does Garth okay. get to bring Chris Henderson with him? All right. You know, we don't we, we I don't know. I guess so. We're taking their All staffs. Right. I we're taking their staffs, you know. Um so I'll take Ernst Tanner. It's a tough call between Ernst Tanner and Gavin Wilkinson, and I don't know. Do, do, does Gavin bring Ned with him? Who knows. Um and as far as coach with Ernst Tanner, I'm going to I'm going to go, you know, again kind of flip the script here. You know, right now he's with a coach who's proving himself and has done well with that system. Instead, I'm going to stick Ernst Tanner with uh, an MLS experienced coach who knows the league really, really well. So I'm going to say Ernst Tanner with Peter Vermees. Now, Peter does both jobs. Peter doesn't do GMs, man. I know he doesn't do GMs, but that's why I'm going to do it, because it's harder and harder to be both the GM and the coach. Despite what Peter might tell you, he might disagree with you vociferously on this point. Well, he doesn't um, sleep, so it's not that he hard. Does, he, right. sleep. he doesn't sleep. And you put him with a real a real GM who whose strength is in finding players abroad, right? Who fit a budget, right? Things that would be good in Kansas City. And then you you pair him with a coach who is you know, very good at finding MLS talent, very good at getting the best out of, you know, some MLS guys. And by doing that, you have created this hybrid of like Peter's strengths of MLS talent and an eye and, and the college scouting and all that. And you mix it with Ernst Tanner's 
international scouting and you've got a super super squad there i don't see peter working well with a boss <laughs> i don't think that's his vibe but this is a fantasy draft it's gonna work fine don't worry about it all right all right, it's your pick. Next one is from Dave Sherubin. Dave, an old friend of mine from Boston. Thank you for writing in, Dave. We have seen so many iterations of MLS playoff formats over the years. Will this year's version stick? Should it? Do too many teams get in? I like the one-off matchup. Never want to see two two-game aggregate goal format again. Paul, your thoughts? Agree on the two-game goal aggregate gone forever. Never will be seen again. Single elimination is fire, as they say, as the kids say. It's amazing. It's here to stay. I'm embarrassing myself. If I have to watch more 10 seeds play in the playoffs, I'm out, man. That's a hard pass. I am out. How many teams should get in? We're going to have 27 teams in MLS next year. I think when we get to, I, I think it should not be more than 50%. You know, I think when we get to 30 you, you you bring it down to 14 out of 30. So seven and seven, and you go from there, and it's fine. I mean, it was going to be seven and seven this year at 26. So what do you think it's going to be next year? I think they should just keep it at seven and seven. That's what I'm saying. It's like they, they, they claimed that they they claimed that they increased it to seven so that they didn't have to increase it again as the league grew. So stay true to your word. Leave it at seven and seven. That's 14 out of 30 teams. That's more than sufficient for a playoff. And everyone's happy. Well, maybe not everyone, but you are. So I guess that's what counts here. That's what matters. So selfish. Uh, I agree. Seven and seven, single elimination. Single elimination is great. really is. Like, it's really fun. Mass chaos. Are you reading the next question or am I? It's your turn. Right. I forgot I'm doing this thing. Okay. This is from Kenny. There's a bit of a feeling right now in the Dynamo community that the team is sort of treading water for 2021 until new ownership comes in, mostly in terms of roster construction. Is that a fair representation or Dynamo fan pessimism? And Sam, I'm going to combine this with the next question. This one's from Chase. How quickly can MLS find a new owner for RSL? It feels like they're just sitting on their hands and not making any moves until that happens. What are your thoughts, Sam? Yeah, so I I agree that these clubs are not going to be doing all that much until they find new owners. I think Kenny and Chase have it exactly right in that front. Um, so fair from the Dynamo fans' perspective. Um, to answer the second question, how quickly can MLS find a new owner for RSL? Very quickly, I think, is fair. You know, Paul, were, were you a part of reporting or was it me and Chris and Meg? I don't even remember. It doesn't matter. But at The Athletic, we reported that Ryan Smith, who recently bought the Utah Jazz, uh, he's a billionaire, young guy, tech guy from Utah, um, is interested in RSL, and he's just waiting out Deloitte Hansen. Um, MLS is set to take over the sale process of that club on January 8th if Hansen cannot find a buyer before then. Um, my expectation is that Smith will come into the process pretty quickly uh, after January 8th and potentially work out a deal. Um, so I, I don't think MLS is going to have to do a ton of, of searching on that front. Um, so I think that'll happen pretty quickly. Houston, I don't know. I haven't heard a ton out of there. Um, it's going to be interesting because Houston, I think I mentioned this maybe last week or I was talking to somebody about it recently. It's a sleeping giant. You know, they have a downtown stadium. That thing, if you can get it going, it's kind of turnkey. It's ready to rock. You just have to like put, you have to treat that club like a big league club. 
right? And then it should be should be going bananas if you do it right. Um, so that's attractive. There's a lot of room to grow. But that being said, it's not exactly a a, a, a super like you know. <laughs> it's like it's like a home that has good bones, right? And you're gonna it's gonna require a lot of renovation. I feel like I'm a property brother right now. You're really just getting um, home for me right now. Let me tell you what. Renovation is not as much fun as it sounds. Yeah. So it's going to be a renovation, renovation project. But I feel, there's I, a lot I of do, potential. I do want to say, Sam, I feel bad for Tab Ramos a little bit because a lot of people wanted to see what Tab Ramos was going to be like as a coach in a pro club. He's very successful with the under-20 national team. And it's not an easy situation that he finds himself in now uh, with the Dynamo. Um there's not a ton of investment. The academy's nowhere near ready enough to contribute first team players. He's kind of in limbo and he's trying to get the best he can out of a roster that is less than ideal. So um I'm not really judging Tab completely um on on what he has so far. Um and and I I'm interested to see what happens with this roster, but I would like to see I mean we, we talk about this all the time. I would like to see ownership groups that actually give their teams a real chance to be successful. And that's not happening in Houston. No, not even close. Um, I believe Tab is only guaranteed through 2021, by the way. Um, Matt Jordan, the GM, just got an extension through 2021 to line those two contracts up. So that's going to be interesting to see if a new owner comes in, what happens with those two. Um, Moving on to the next question, which is from Michael Biederman. You two, we two, talk a lot about teams needing to spend more. If you're a low-budget team, what investments in either infrastructure, players, what have you, give you the best bang for your buck? Paul, I like this question. Yeah, it's a good question. I think there's two easy answers for best bang for the buck. The first is the academy. You're you're spending $2 million a year. If you do it well and you really commit yourself to it, um, that $2 million a year should be able to yield you multiple players that can start for you on off-budget numbers, which is massive value. Um, Sure, but even if it takes 10 years, that's $20 million. That's, Mm -hmm. you know, three years of a a senior DP, right? And it's worth it if you do it right. Right. Dallas is a good example of Philly. RSL. Um, there have been examples of it across the league. I think um, I, I think that analytics is another one. We talked about this last week. I kind of went on a little mini rant about it. I don't think you 100% agreed. But I believe that there is no, probably no soccer league in the world where analytics can be more important. And I don't think there's any team in MLS that has put as much into analytics as they could. I don't think there's any team in MLS if you will, that has gone full money ball, that has gone full Whoa. analytics <laughs> and, and put, put everything that they can into that structure. Nashville does have an analytics guy on staff, by the way. I, I saw that veiled shot at Mike Jacobs. I just wanted I, to... Uh, you can have one analytics person on staff. That does not mean you're doing it the way it's been done elsewhere. And I think... and I think eh, Those departments aren't big even at the biggest clubs in the world, man. Uh they're bigger than one person, and it's not necessarily not about huge, the size though. of the staff. It's about the people you're hiring. It's about the software you're using and or it's developing. It's how you and use it's it. About the, yeah, and it's about <laughs> it's about how much you actually listen and, and use those analytics. I don't think any – the point is I don't think anyone's put, it, put the money really into analytics and the faith into analytics as much as could be done. 
And and I mean that in the sense of the clubs that actually need it, right? Like I think Seattle and Toronto, they use it to supplement their decision-making process, which which is the ideal way to use analytics. But I think there are a lot of low-budget teams who are just kind of like, eh, we'll find some diamonds in the rough in MLS and we'll make it work. We'll cobble together a roster with some interleague trades and we'll be good and we'll we'll make the playoffs and everything will be fine. Instead of saying like, hey, we'll go hire the best analytics people we can to run the run to the department um, to really find talent and to give us a chance to win championships every year. I'll pull it back even further. Um, you mentioned Moneyball. What is Moneyball all about, Paul? It's all about market inefficiencies and exploiting them. What's the biggest market inefficiency in MLS? Front office talent, straight up. Look at the teams that are in the championship every year, right? Toronto, Seattle, Columbus now. What do they have in common? They all have good GMs, right? So if you want to go get one of those guys and you're a low, if, if you're a low budget team and you say, I want to go make myself better, not just in year one or two, but over time, sustainably, go spend the money and hire one of the best GMs in the league, straight up. It's going to be hard to do that if you don't commit in other areas, but look at Tim Bezbachenko. Didn't Toronto on a huge budget? Didn't Columbus on a middle class budget? Right? Look at Lagerway. Didn't Seattle on a big budget? Right? Didn't Salt Lake on a small budget? Vermes, he's been there year after year. Pretty small budget for the most part in Kansas City. Bruce Arena, big budget with the Galaxy, middle with the Revs. Ali Curtis, small budget with the Red Bulls, right? Winning Supporters Shield and setting that up. Bigger budget in Toronto, making finals. It's the same guys year after year that are in these that are in these good positions. Go hire one of them. Spend DP money on one of those guys, and you'll turn your club around. Um, Alternatively, throw Sam, you know, a few hundred dollars a month, and hire Sam to stay at school. And let's just see what how where allocation disorder can go with Sam to stay at school running Real Salt Lake. Let's start the campaign that right here, right now. Oh yeah, you're cheap. Wow. I mean. Not that cheap. Maybe kind of cheap. Like what bourbon are you in the cheapness scale? We'll get into this in 2021. We've got questions to answer here. Old granddad. It's old reliable. <laughs> All, right. All right. Zach says, does Seattle pay up for Schmetzer or does he walk? How does their deep run in the playoffs but awful showing in the final influence it? All right. I'll answer. Does Seattle pay up for Schmetzer? No. Does he walk? No. Um, I think he will be there. I think it'll probably, they'll pay up. Is he going to be the highest paid coach in the league? No. Um, is he going to be in the top third? Yes. Um, and he'll probably get a long term deal, three, four years plus. Um, and yeah, I would be pretty stunned if he wasn't back. I mean, he's giving end of year press conferences. The team is tweeting out quote cards with his lines on them about Nico Lodero coming back and what that means for the future of the organization. Like he's going to be back. Like, I would be stunned, stunned beyond stunned if he is not back. Um, so, yeah, I think that's I think that's the case. And, you know, obviously, uh, MLS Cup, not that big of a role, apparently, right? If, if I believe that. Um, any disagreement there, Paul? No, I'd agree. I think the expectation is that Schmetzer will be back in Seattle. All right. Next question. Is it my turn to read? All right, we're running pretty we're running pretty long here, um, but of the homegrown players who debuted during 2020, who impressed you the most? That's a tough one. Um, 
I think that for me, I didn't know what expectations to have around Mauricio Pineda in Chicago. Um, I was shocked that he started the first game of the season in Seattle. And I would say that he impressed me the most over the course of the entire season. He was a, a good, a decent starter at central midfield. He was an okay starter at center back. I think athletically, he's a little bit slow. He can get caught in space, but he's going to be an MLS contributor for many, many years. And, and I wasn't sure what to make of him. So I'll say Pineda. All right. Do we figure out if Caden Clark's a homegrown? He is counted as a homegrown. All right. I'm rocking with him then. He didn't play much, signed late in the year, but started in the playoffs, scored some goals, 17 years old. I think big things in his future looks he like. Is the, he is the, the 2020 version of Jossie Zardes as a homegrown player. Uh, I don't think so. He spent zero time in an academy, an MLS academy. Literally yeah, but zero he, games. But he didn't go to college for four years. Zero games in an academy. All right. He's the 2020 the version of Julian Araujo. All right. You're he's also, Julian's not a homegrown player. Oh, that's um, right. Because they had to get him on waivers. That was the dumbest transaction maybe ever. They chose not to let him get the hours because they wanted to sign him more immediately. Yeah, because okay. he was going to leave if he didn't. <laughs> Okay, Shreyas uh, asks, is U.S. Men's National Team January camp still happening? If so, who are some newcomers you'd like to see get called in? Sam, yes, answer, it is happening. It, it is happening. I don't think there's anyone that I would like to see get called in. We've seen so many players of this pool. There really I was going to say, are, th- surprising. are there any Americans who play minutes that haven't received a call? In this December or recent, like these recent camps, like I feel no, like I mean, everyone that's played gets that called in. Seen, I guess George George Bello out of Atlanta maybe is the one I wouldn't mind seeing okay. at a position of need yeah. for the national team. That that's the one I'll use. All right, Matt Turner, of course, he's been called in before, but you know, gotta get gotta get that shout out in there, right? Right? Yeah, it's your favorite uh, player, definitely, I know. Matt Turner. All right, Sam, let's end it. You on love this, this conversation. Let's end it on this question because I think this is. A I'm good so excited one about this question. This is this is yeah. a quirky one. This is like a, a this is perfect for you, Sam. So I'll ask it so that you can jump right into it because you're ready to go. This is from Jerry. What is the weirdest MLS 1.0 stadium story that the Athletic SCCR team has not yet shared on allocation disorder? Let's hear it now. We didn't survey any of our colleagues at the athletic soccer team. So I'm sure Pablo, in fact, I know Pablo has some ridiculous ones, but we're going to let Sam share a couple of his. Some are from his MLS days. Some are not from his MLS days. Sam, what you got for us? All right. So I used to cover the fire back in the day and um, Toyota Park, I would, I was, I would write my stories slowly back in those days. So I'd always be the last one to leave the press box. And the parking lot for media would always be like closed. They, they would lock this gate <laughs> but then, to get out of the stadium. <laughs> but there was like a foot gap and it was a tall gate, like 10 feet. Like I'm not trying to climb this fence, right? But there was like a foot or two, foot and a half gap underneath between the ground and the bottom of the fence. And so I would slide under there on the dirty, dirty parking lot slip my backpack underneath slide under there at like one in the morning in Bridgeview to, to just like leave the stadium and get into my car that happened a lot um but my favorite MLS stadium story did not happen at Toyota Park it happened at Soldier Field which once again is an MLS stadium um <laughs> it was not MLS related I was working on a school project in college and I don't even really remember what it was but I had to for some reason I was taking pictures of soldier field and I wanted to get inside. It was closed, 
but I saw the Segway tour going in and I'm like, all right, Segway tour is going in. Maybe I can figure out a way to sneak in this thing. Right. And, uh, so me and a couple of my friends who had gone down to Soldier Field with me, we snuck into Soldier Field and we're running around the stadium like three 19 year old idiots. I'm taking pictures on like a digital camera for God knows what reason, (laughs) some class I was in. And, we realize as we're like in the concourse, like in the seats, in a section, like taking pictures of the interior that like, oh crap, how are we going to get out? We need to go find this Segway tour. So we like sprint around the concourse. We eventually link up with the Segway tour as they're like riding out of the stadium and we follow them through the gate. There are these grassy sort of hills that are in the lead up to the gates at Soldier Field and the Segway tour rides. <laughs> they're leaving the stadium and they ride down one of these grassy hills. And my one of my friends in I don't even know. I think it was just he was just it was in a hangover days that he was in um, decided that it would be funny to pretend like he was on a Segway and ride down the hill with these this pack of, of Segways. So, he's got like, he's pantomiming being on a Segway and riding down the hill. And then people on the Segways start to fall and wipe out because <laughs> they're riding on the grass. <laughs> and so, he, he did a tumble as well. Um, so, I think that's my best stadium story. Uh, probably committed some crimes that day, but whatever. Statute of limitations. Well, I certainly don't anything have like anything... That? I don't think I don't think I have any, anything that that good. I mean, I've got a lot of really good memories at RFK Stadium. So many parts, so many different times in my life. Um, I was in that stadium. I played a game, uh, a final in, in RFK Stadium. I interned with the Washington Freedom at RFK Stadium. My youth coach, Clyde Watson, was an assistant coach for the Freedom. Um, and I, I worked for him and for the team, um, just kind of doing whatever they needed for the end of my senior year in high school. Um, which kind of gave me my first uh, taste of Capitol Hill and going and get the crab cakes at Eastern Market with Clyde for lunch. So fond memories of RFK before I ever ever entered journalism professionally. Um, but I will say, I, I think it's kind of funny to me that um, two of my bigger early professional memories of covering MLS came at two of the weirdest stadium situations uh, in MLS. The first being I covered a U.S. Open Cup game at uh the the sportsplex uh, maryland sportsplex and uh it was supposed to be a like really uneventful day i was filling in quickly for golf who was on vacation he said paul it shouldn't be a big deal it's a wednesday night u.s open cup game just write the gamer you're good to go um then blanco got ejected from the game and headbutted uh an employee at the field Qua- and quatemoc blanco oh yeah quatemoc blanco who's you gotta still- use first names paul he's not everyone knows so, who you're talking about i mean if you don't know who blanco is you're who's it gonna be sebastian you, you might not know who golf is a, steve steven golf the washington post so i was a very young writer and suddenly one of the legends of mexican soccer um had been accused of headbutting a security guard at the maryland sportsplex and um it turned into a, a multi-day saga of reporting out this story and uh, it was very thrilling for me to be a part of it. Honestly, um, it was so early in my time at the Post. My first ever road trip covering Major League Soccer was filling in again for Stephen Goff. And where did I go, Sam? I went to Kansas City to watch DC United play to the minor Kansas league baseball City stadium to Community America Ballpark in a very, very warm press box behind home field, watching a soccer game that was very, very far away. And so I am one of the 
proud journalist that can say, when I check off my boxes of stadiums, I've covered games in a major league soccer, that uh, Community America Ballpark is one of those stadiums. That That is quite the bucket list item. I never made it there, nor did I ever make it to Buckshaw Stadium, which is maybe my biggest regret just in life, period. It's a huge regret of mine. Like, I have a lot of regrets in general, but that's the biggest one by far. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think of, of any other stadium stories that I have, and I don't know that I really, uh, Look, I really Sam, have anymore. We, 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 we are potentially on the, the precipice here of a very long off-season. We, we, could, we could be staring down an off-season that doesn't end till May. So, we'll have plenty of time oh, for stories. We'll probably well, have this is our bread and butter, according we, to you. This yeah, is what we'll we're be, here for. This is what it's all about, my friend, the roster building. Um, we are taking a break for the rest of 2020. Sam and I um, are going to try not to talk to each other for at least three days in a row. Um, and hopefully... You can't quit weeks. me. Yeah, we'll see. But <laughs> we we I just want to say before Sam signs us off, as he always does, how much we enjoy doing this show and interacting with all of you who listen to it. So thanks for tuning in to our show this year and we'll see you in 2021 with a lot of gam tam talk uh and a little bit of sam talk too (laughs) uh probably a lot of that more than you bargained for if we're being honest uh but well said paul i echo everything um thank you for listening this has been a fun ride we didn't really know what this would be when when we started it back in february but um i think it's fair to say that that we have been pleasantly surprised that there are so many of you mls weirdos out there that enjoy listening to us be mls weirdos so thank you uh for coming along with us uh we really do appreciate it and hopefully you've enjoyed this show as much as we've had um as much as we've enjoyed making it for you um so with that this has been allocation disorder until 2021 i am sam stasekel he is paul tenorio thank you for listening 